Hello, hello, Angel Muffins. It is me, MLB, back with the 11th episode of the Mary Lacey Bank Show. And today's episode is so special, you guys, because this is my first ever interview episode. And for this interview, I interviewed Natalie E. West, who is a clinical psychotherapist and nutritional psychologist who uses the carnivore diet to help her clients design their lives on purpose. So in this episode, we touch on so many topics, but here are a few. We touch on what is a species appropriate diet for humans, which she believes is a carnivore diet. We also talked about how mental health is metabolic health, personal values and how they shape our health and inflammation and inflammatory thoughts, you guys. When she dropped the fact that our thoughts can be inflammatory, it blew my mind. So many parts of this episode blew my mind and I cannot wait for you all to listen to it. But before you do, I have to call myself out, you guys. I have to put a little disclaimer in here. So at one point in this episode, I say that human beings have been around for millions of years. <laughs> okay, first of all, we haven't. Um, I actually looked it up online. It's been like a few hundreds of thousands of years. So anyway, I hope we can just all laugh together at that comment. And with that said... Let's get into the episode. Hello, Natalie. I am so happy that you are here today, Natalie E. West. So before we get into the show, I would love it if you would introduce yourself. Thank you. Thanks, Mary. Uh, so I've been a clinical psychotherapist now for over 17 years and really working in the space of helping people understand their self-image, but also to mental and metabolic health. So I combine people understanding, one, how their minds work, why they do what they do, what their thoughts, feelings, patterns of behaviors are and where they come from, but then also supporting the body through what we feed and fuel ourselves. And that's just not through our eyes, our ears, it's actually through our mouth. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I always ask people, do they understand the importance and the power of what nutrition is for a human and you know we are a species so we have to eat the right source of fuel uh, for our brains our minds and our metabolic health to function so that's what I've been doing for the last 17 years yeah around the world yeah oh my gosh just hearing you say that I get chills because <laughs> um you know this is largely why I wanted to have you on the show I actually so I started a podcast a, like a month ago and I ended up recording a podcast about um, my, my struggles with addiction. So I've struggled mm -hmm. with addiction with, um, it, with Adderall, a little bit okay. with alcohol and with eating disorders. And yeah. after I recorded the podcast, I listened back and I just felt this like little fire lit under me. And I just said to myself, I'm not going to struggle. With, like, like, I don't want to be telling my, my struggles with food for like, next year. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I want, I want the story to end. So I started to get really curious because, you know, in the past I've gone to, you know, more traditional, you know, like 12 step eating food, like recovery yeah. programs that, yeah. and, and, you know, it's very much portion control. It's very, it's all of that. And it, it doesn't work for me. 
And so it doesn't work for a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I kept feeling like there were, cause like there was something wrong with me. So yeah, yeah. I was listening to Tim Ferriss and I heard him talk about nutritional psych, um, psychiatry. Psychiatry. Yes. Blew my mind. I'm like, wait, this is yeah. a thing. It so I start, so I started looking, you know, looking this up and you came across my path. Um, yeah. and I think, and, and so did carnivore and so did all the, all these other uh, specifically carnivore. I think what blew my mind the most was how many people were genuinely talking about healing. Like, yeah. and it, it, when I tell you I've become obsessed, I mean, I've become obsessed with learning about this I myself yeah I myself so I've been eating carnivore for the last month wow amazing good yeah thank you and and you know and I got to a place of quite frankly desperation because mm -hmm. of my issues with food and it was just getting so annoying that once I heard that there was a solution I just kind of and, and not only that but what I really what interests me about carnivore was the um i love to me it's the closest thing to abstinence that, that we can get to oh, um well humans we, we we're the only species that really make our food as much as food and exactly. it's really not called food it's food like substances and to be fully metabolically and mentally healthy you know the, the connection from you know say psychiatry and psychology world has never actually put those two things together in relation to that gut brain axis and no, we, we just because we make our own food and we have, you know, a plethora of food in front of us, that doesn't actually mean that we need to eat it all. Yes. All day, every day. Um, so, you know, again, our food patterns and behaviors come from our conditioning. So food connection is not normally um, when we get to say food connection, for example, that's a healthy space to be because we understand the connection between nurture and nourish. But most of the time our patterning of conditioning of food has come from the age of zero to seven when our environment teaches us internally and externally what food is and what it's used for. Yeah. A lot of the time food's used for treats, punishment, mm -hmm. especially to make your body do something that it shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be pushing your body to do anything other than just feed it and fuel it correctly and it'll take care of itself. <laughs> um, but it's the patterning of the mind of what we hear around food and restriction and calorie counting. And that's a very, very unhealthy and a human should not be told a calorie in calorie out to be able to actually maintain any mental health. Um, and that's the most important thing. It is the most important thing. And I, I, I listened to a podcast of yours and you talked about, I loved what you said about, um, this being a species appropriate diet so can Correct. you can you go a little bit more into that like this idea yeah, of what that so means kind of really help people understand you know their their patterning which really becomes quite um you know set by the time we're seven so between the age of zero to seven we have this thing what i call a pre-cognitive commitment phase so what i talk about is conscious patterning versus unconscious patterning which becomes our conditions mm -hmm. so a lot of the time between the age of zero to seven if you think of your your head as a as a you know when you're a child you absorb everything. It's a video recording. It's recording every thought, feeling, reaction, and image from anyone in authority to you. So especially when it comes to your own self-worth, your self-image, your value structures, but then also value with food. We're taught, and this is the other thing, don't use food as treats. We're not animals. Yeah. <laughs> 
really bad place to start because again, we have to understand if we have an emotion, we have to go through the emotion. We cannot go around the emotion and anchor it and feed it in things that aren't suitable for a species to eat. So when I talk about even the word diet, you know, um, diet is a, is a very unconscious trigger for a lot of people because their minds have been associated, even really young, you know, maybe most people I know, mums are on a diet and that's all we heard mm -hmm. about, don't eat that, that's going to make you fat, all of those kind of things. So as a child, you don't have the ability to filter out that. You don't have the choice to say that's not a value for me. You just learn that as a set structure of that's what food is and what it's used for. Same with exercise. Exercise is generally used as punishment yeah. <laughs> to work off the food that you've eaten and you get into a very, very bad cycle of not looking at your emotions, but you're going around them. So when we talk about primal species appropriate way, we as I said, there are species like a lion is a species, like there's animals that are species and they have a specific diet. If they go away from that diet, they get sick. So you wouldn't be seeing, you know, a lion veering away from eating what it needs to eat. Same in a zoo. If you feed an animal a certain way, because that's a species appropriate diet, they flourish, right? Yeah. So if they don't, they get unwell. We are no different. But yeah. unfortunately, the way that we're culturally driven, again, from a society point through validation and externalization, so we do also learn that as children. So all of our value structures within our self-worth and our self-image are all values outside of ourselves that are through perceptions, thoughts, feelings and behaviors and patterns of other people, <laughs> not our own. <laughs> so when we understand what a primal state is and ketosis is a primal state we are in ketosis when we're in utero we're in ketosis wow. when we are born because uh, breast milk if you're fed breast milk it's fully saturated fat that's what we survive on wow. um, so when we move away from that that's when our brains then move into using glucose because that's the culture of what we're taught you know then we're eating rice cereals and all of those things that aren't food yeah. um, so it is understanding that we don't use the word diet. What we use is a pre primal species appropriate way of eating and we have to set that foundation. And the best foundation for that, and that's why I do use the carnivore protocol with all of my clients and not just even people that have eating problems, people who have alcohol problems, you know, lots of people that are really struggling. They've done the therapy for you know 12 weeks sometimes years yeah but no one's asking them what they're eating mm -hmm. and even for me 17 years ago I, I was looked at very strangely <laughs> so yeah. because it was never never spoken about but you know my philosophy is if you eat junk you feel junky so you know so you've got to understand the power of what nutrition is what real food and fuel is to make your mental and metabolic health work correctly. Wow. I just think it's so cool that when you work with clients, that that's one of the first things that you talk to them about, like you said, regardless of, of if they have eating issues or not, just, just for mm -hmm. the mental, um, for the mental component. So when you say species appropriate diet or a primal diet, what mm -hmm. do you prescribe to your clients? Like, what do you, what do you prescribe? 
Yeah. So we go back to the most powerful source, which is animal-based food. Mm -hmm. And they hold all of the nutrients and the amino acids that humans need to thrive. So, you know, again, you can meet, eat an all meat diet, which I have now for over four years. I haven't eaten a vegetable or a carbohydrate. And in perception, you know, really, I should be dead probably um, because we're told that you have to eat those, right. <laughs> those things right. to survive. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but you don't. So we have two, two um, sources of food. So we have either glucose or we have fat. So when your body is in a fat adapted stage of using your fat as fuel, when you're in ketosis, you know, I educate my clients on what that means. So for example, when I'm talking to them, I'm like, we've got to get back to the basics of human species structure. Nutrition is messages. You have to send mm. the right messages through the food that you get so that your gut creates the right transmitters that then create your brain and your body to work in synergy. So you can't talk to a starving brain you just can't like we well, can people do it for years but if you're talking about things like whether it's anxiety depression long-term high anxiety disorders there is a foundation of nutritional deficiency and malnourishment um, you know we have such a plethora of food as I said earlier you walk into a supermarket none of that is nutritionally dense food a lot of it is malnourished like I called Franken food. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I really educate my clients on what are you currently eating? What's showing up for you? And especially when we use food through emotions and everyone's done it, right? But mm -hmm. we have to understand the emotion is there to learn from. We can't anchor it in ice cream or whatever it may be because we're not learning anything about ourselves. However, our self-image is also the driver of that. So if we don't feel good, if we don't have a great base of who we are and if we don't love ourselves, one, have a relationship with ourselves, that's also a huge emotional void that people will fill with alcohol, food, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, so I allow my, my clients to know that when we are looking at getting your body in alignment, it's always back to the species appropriate. So it's meat, eggs, butter for some people, um, dairy if they're okay with it. But a lot of it is just literally the densest um, meat, red meat that we can get because that holds even eggs. Eggs and meat and liver, you could live on that forever and never, ever, ever, ever be nutrient deficient. Yeah. I think people don't like liver. They, they screw their nose up. But you can take tablets, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I actually bought liver last week and I yeah. was so excited that I bought it, you know, and I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to try this, you know? And, um, I had a bite of it and I, I have to tell you it was rough, but I, I had it oh, raw. It, so uh, yeah. So I always say to my clients, no chewing, let's oh. just chop it up and swallow it with a bit of a water chaser behind because it is very powerful when you can have it raw versus cooked. Okay. So I do the same. So I'll have probably four or five little squares of liver, but I'll, yeah, no, no chewing. I, I'm, I'm. <laughs> okay. I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. So just like a supplement, right? Right. So you just yeah. put it on your tongue, swallow it down with water and, and you're done. Okay. I'm really excited to try that now. Thank <laughs> you for that. No worries. We don't want people chewing liver if it's, oh. you know, again, we don't, we, we don't want to 
put put anyone in position of you know liver is extremely powerful it's so good for you yeah um, that's what i heard we don't want to be doing something that's creating like resistance right or, you know trying to and again i'm not great with willpower and white knuckling it doesn't no. sustain anything no. so yeah, even freezing it is really good. It just takes off the denseness of it too. So you can do that too. You can freeze it uh-huh. in little bags um, and then just swallow it frozen. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm really excited now. Thank you for all yeah, of that. You are. You're welcome. <laughs> so so you've been carnivore for four years. So, yeah. and so would you say that you are like, are, are you an athlete? Like, do you exercise? Like, what's that like? Well, I, yeah, I do. So I'm, I'm originally from a bodybuilding background. Yes. Um, before I trained and, um, now I still weight train, but I weight train from a very different headspace compared right. to where I used to be. Uh, cause the bodybuilding industry again is a very fickle, uh, validative industry to be in. And it's really not good for your mental and metabolic health. And that's what got me into trouble with a high carb diet. Cause I didn't know yeah. any of this remember. So I wasn't a therapist or knew any of this when I was a competitor. So I would never do it again now that I know what I know. Yeah. Um, so for me, I got into an insulin resistance issue, um, which was causing hunger all the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, eyesight was getting worse. And I'm like, okay, that's not good. So I literally just jumped in and I'm like, I'll just totally reverse this. And then, yeah. So I, but I just kept going because of the amount of energy and shifts and, you know, insulin resistance reversed. My right. asthma went away. My, all my allergies went away. My eyesight got better. I no longer wear glasses. Wow. Um, yeah, lots and lots of things. Um, so for me, it's literally just weight training three to four days a week. I also enjoy right. walking when I listen to podcasts, but I use exercise now more and I teach my clients this. The way you eat and the way that you feed and fuel and move your body is purely a foundation for healing your mental and metabolic health. Everything else will take care of itself. And, you know, I do know that, you know, being in ketosis, we generally do lose um, weight and, you know, by by association of having that kind of protocol, but we never use the protocol as a driver to lose weight because then that just keeps us in those old conditions and patterns. Yeah, that's, that's so true. And I love that you're saying that. So Mike, so, you know, one, one argument that I've heard is people say, you know, well, you know, you, you need carbs to be athletic and, you know, you know, like, um, so I, I yeah. come from a, from an endurance background. Um, yeah. I've ran a few, like, you know, I've, I've ran a, a lot of distance things, uh, yeah. a lot of, um, endurance sports and something that is so common in that community is to talk about the need for, for, um, carbs. carbs. And I'm curious if you could speak a little bit to that. Yeah, well, again, it's just a condition that we believe that is true. And again, you know, um, depending on, I guess, each individual person's structure of what they're going to do. But, you know, if anyone's ever run being fat adapted, there is worlds apart. You don't get crashes, you don't have insulin spikes, and you don't need to refuel all the time, right? Because as, as a bodybuilder, it probably took me three months just to get adjusted. So I definitely did notice oh. a difference. Um, because of, you know, my body's been so used to using carbs as the fuel, mm-hmm. but I've had to switch. So my, also my body had to work out, hold on, 
I'm not getting the carbohydrate and the glucose response. I've got to start using my liver, which again, your liver will make um, glucose for you through gluconeogenesis. So that's the other thing a lot of people don't know. When you use carbs externally for anything, you also generally get an excess of it because we're eating, you know, all day, every day Mm -hmm. and our insulin and stuff is going up, but we're getting excess glucose. And that's when we get these, I'm hangry, I need more food, I I need energy. When you take all of that out and go through that transition phase, your energy is level, you've got so much, you know, more control over, you can run, you can lift weights, but it's an adjustment, you got to get used to it. So for me, my fuel when I train is a huge steak and some eggs, and I go to train and it's exactly how I would have been had I used carbs. However, the difference is, I can actually go a lot harder and a lot further and I actually don't get sore. And a lot of carnivores you may speak to that, you know, especially someone like say Dr. Chafee, I don't know if you've ever looked at him. Of course. But he, yeah. Look at his body, right? Yeah. He's totally fat adapted. And I think it's just an education thing. And I know a lot of people in the UK, you know, professional bodybuilders that are also, you know, carnivore and keto. And they look amazing. They look exactly like a carb-driven, um, you know, competitor. But a lot of it is mental. Yeah. <laughs> There's a mental perception to it, without a doubt. And you know, I that that's one of the reasons uh, reasons I was so excited to have you on the podcast is because yes, I have been listening to you know Dr. Kells, Dr. Chafee, and all of these yeah. people in the space. And I loved that. You know, I was curious from a woman's perspective. Because one again, an, another thing that I wanted to ask ask you about, because I haven't heard this on any other podcast, and it's been a huge topic on my brain, you know. Yeah. And so cycle tracking, you know, it's a big yeah. thing going on right now for women. This idea yeah. of, you know, um, we need different things at different times of the month, different types of exercise, different whatever. And and um, you know, Molly Pelt, I I um, yeah. I've read her, I love her book, but it um, yeah. you know, fast like a girl. Yes, yes. And in there, she says that women need carbs at certain times of the month and that it's best for them. And I'm curious, what has your experience been like with and and like, do you track your cycle with carnivore? Like, what do you notice? Yeah, so I'm I'm 51. Um, Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, Wow. I really don't do that any longer because I'm in that process of menopause, right? However... I don't have any symptoms whatsoever. Wow. I wouldn't even know I was in menopause only because of my blood results. Um, wow. So again, women have also been led to believe that we have to go through these huge amount of yep. um, symptoms with menopause. Now, however, we don't actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've even had my own clients that have had very, very bad periods, pain, clotting. Once they've gone carnival all of that disappears because a lot of it is to do with what we eat. It's inflammation. It's all of the junk that we're putting into our bodies. If you're putting in non-nutritional based food that has no messages, your hormones aren't going to work properly. And saturated fat again is huge for hormones. So when we even talk about menopause, when our ovaries stop making our sex hormones, our adrenal glands, that's their job to pick up to make those hormones. And that's why if you have a high saturated fat diet, that's what happens. And even Dr. Yeah. Berg talks about this a lot. And even, um, well, Dr. Kilt's obviously being a you know um, fertility specialist and things like that. 
I think the carbohydrate thing is something that is so uniquely specific, but I think a lot of the time we're not looking at the fact that carbohydrates is a gateway drug. It just Yes, um, <laughs> it's so it, true. It, if And I always, you know, I'm a big believer in moderation and balance do not exist. If you have a carbohydrate sugar addiction or an energy problem, again, with your mitochondria not working properly because we haven't been giving it the energy that it needs to create the right, um, you know, signals to the brain to work, you have to eliminate. You can't dabble. So, for example, you know, I've got clients that, you know, kind of all maybe six to eight months and then they'll make a choice and they'll have carbs and literally it opens up that gateway again and they just can't do it. So, again, it's got to be relevant. If you have a food problem due to, you know, cycles of conditionings behavior, you have to eliminate it. You have to take it out. It's like if you have a problem with alcohol, Mm -hmm. you cannot touch it. You have to eliminate it Um, because if we look at the amount of illnesses, type 2 diabetes, even in children right now, you know, young as eight being put on medication because they've got type 2 diabetes, this was never heard of, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, Same with anxiety and depression. We're getting sicker and sicker and more, you know, metabolically unwell, but it's not from a lack of medication. It's a lack of we aren't feeding and fueling ourselves correctly. Yeah. And fasting too, again, depending on your hormones, like if you've got problems and, you know, if you're waking up and you've never eaten breakfast and you're having black coffee, that's not great for for a woman um, you know, for adrenals and all of those kind of things and a lot of cortisol issues. So if you're stressed, your cortisol, your cortisol is going to be up. That doesn't help either because when you are stressed and in cortisol response, all your body wants is sugar and carbohydrates because it's searching for that energy. Um, and that's a slippery slope to be in. So I always say to people too, don't ever try and lose weight right. if you're in a cortisol and you're not, you're not sleeping. So sleeping for me is the huge umbrella, but you can't sleep deeply if you are eating all the things that a species should not be eating. So, so you just mentioned coffee. So are, do you suggest that your clients not drink coffee? For me, I'm always client specific. Like I know a lot of the carnivore community are like, Oh no, it's not carnivore. It's about my client. And yeah. you know what, when I first went carnivore, I was still on coffee. Um, I don't do it anymore. I've, I've quit six months ago. Oh, wow. um, I, I now I now use the LMNT okay. chocolate salt warm with butter in it. Um, so that's, yeah, it's amazing. I don't know if anyone's ever tried that, but give that a go. <laughs> so is, is it is it the, um, that brand that's LMNT? Yeah, this one. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so that's grapefruit. And um, okay. again, when you're carnivore, electrolytes are really, really important to balance those, you know, electrolyte balances. Because when you when you have no carbs, your body will dump sodium. So you need to make sure that you're putting all that. So you don't go through the kind of carnivore, keto, fluey kind yeah. of symptoms. Um, but I actually say to my clients, you know, if you're wanting to test out removal of caffeine, slowly reduce it, add in one caffeine, one decaf and then add in something like the electrolytes that you can have hot so like the chocolate salt with a bit of the butter in it so it's like a butter coffee bulletproof okay but we're weaning down slowly um 
I always look at it from a hormone point. So getting bloods done and, and you know what, if someone's disrupted sleep, but making sure that coffee is not consumed after 1 p.m. Yeah. Just doesn't work for a lot of people. Yeah. So you said- I don't miss it. I don't, I don't even like the taste of it anymore. It's just, ew. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So you said right. chocolate salt. Yes, chocolate salt. Girl, you got to link this to me. I'm so curious. Yeah, I will. I'll send you the link. Okay, yeah, yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, so I'm actually on a journey to, rem- to remove coffee um, yep. myself. And, the re- and so what I'm doing is I got caffeine pills. And okay, yep. I've just been doing those instead and then slowly weaning down. And I honestly feel like the, the contrast even just between those two has been huge. Because I just noticed that coffee makes me real weird. Just well, it, weird. it can make you agitated. It can, yes. and it depends on the uptake. So a lot of people's system and the way that their body absorbs and how it reacts with coffee. Um, you know, so I've got some clients that just can't do it because it makes them really hot because they can't they can't process it properly. Um, but what I would normally suggest for people is the first thing when you wake up in the morning is have electrolytes immediately so like get another flavor like the grapefruit or you know lemon and lime they're amazing they're all really really good um but have that first then get out in the sun if you can to get your circadian rhythm um you know activated and that sun in your face if you can obviously with winter is going to be a little bit different um but then after that then have so what happens is when we give up coffee, we have this brain gap because <laughs> yeah. your mind's hunting for the pattern and it's hunting for the the familiarity, right? Yeah. So we've got to fill the gap, but we've got to fill the gap with something that's going to serve us. So I'll say to people, wake up, have your electrolytes cold, wait probably half an hour, then boil the kettle, use the chocolate salt, add some butter in it, stir it up. That's your fill-in for the coffee. And you will feel different because the other thing with electrolytes, they just wake up your brain. It's can't not, right, with the magnesium yeah. and the potassium and, and the sodium. Um, so that's a really good structure. And then um, even in at nighttime, you know, when people generally would have something like a hot chocolate or something to fill the void at night, I get them to do the same thing. I'm like, have a hot electrolyte with the butter in it. That sounds amazing and I'm genuinely so excited to try that. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, I have one every morning. I'm like, yeah, there we go. Wow. <laughs> I, I heard yeah. you on another podcast say, um, you, you um, someone was asking about cravings. Yeah. And, and your, um, what you told her to do was just to add salt to water. Yeah. And I've been yeah. doing that for the last two weeks. It is a miracle. I'm like, it is, wow. Yeah. Like, and what I love is, you know, what, what people used to tell me in, you know, um, it was specifically for, you know, cravings and binges and all these things. They would always yeah. talking about, you know, waiting, you know, just wait yeah. 10 minutes, wait 10 minutes. I'm like, but I can't. And, you know, but what well, I have found thing is, is because yeah. we, we don't understand how the mind works, right? So if you're saying wait, your mind is still using the same image, thought, feeling and reaction. You need to give it a new thought, feeling, and reaction with changing what you do. So you need to activate through taste bud association. If you leave a gap, your mind is going to be going, well, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back because I'm so used to doing the same familiar pattern. That's why we have to create new frames. So your mind is literally, like I said earlier, a video camera. 
it will work on the same frames, the same patterns until we change it. But you've got to change one frame at a time with doing something that is totally unfamiliar, which our minds don't like. We don't like being in the unfamiliar. However, that's the most powerful space to be in. You have to be unfamiliar to make changes. So what you're doing is giving your mind a higher value because it makes you feel good. Then you're putting yourself first. You're not putting the craving first. Yes. So in that case, would you just suggest that someone did, because at least in in my experience, I felt that drinking the glass of water with salt in it, because it had the salt in it, it really helped. And and then, and it, and and it, it, I, I thought of it as like a supplement or, or medicine kind of like, that's what yeah. I thought about it. I'm like, this is medicine for a craving. <laughs> well, again, you know, we have certain types of cravings. We have psychological cravings, we have biological cravings, and we also have heart cravings. As I call them. So, you know, psychological cravings, generally the ones when we say to ourselves or our minds, I can't have that. So right. the only thing your mind's going to think of is that thing. So that's why language narrative behind what we do as well is so, so crucial. So never tell yourself, I can't have that because all your mind's going to do is go, well, we've done it 5,000 times before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what we do, we say, I just don't choose that. Right. That's not for me. Um, that's not happening today. That's not happening now. So the minute that you say it's not happening now, you shift it with a new association through auditory, physical, um, sound, taste, it's new. It's unfamiliar, but it changes the pattern. And so I want to go back now to the carnivore diet. So my next question is, so I'm so curious, what would you say to people who would say, well, why not fruits and vegetables? Like why are fruits and vegetables so harmful. And this is a sidebar. I was actually vegan for six years. Um, prior to becoming carnivore, I would literally eat raw vegetables by the ton. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought they were, you know, I followed people like Joel Furman, Joel Furman and all these people. And and I was just like this, you know, this is it. And, and I ended up being, I all, at first I felt amazing. Yeah. And then by the end I was, depressed, overweight, and confused. So can you talk a little bit of, like, can you speak to that? Yeah. So, you know, again, we we learn through our society that fruit and vegetables are a part of a balanced diet and then we need them. Um, But if we really look at it from a perspective of if we needed them and the amount of people that, say, for example, will find a plant-based or vegan vegetarian diet they do feel good in the being because a lot of the time they're removing all of the processed foods and things that they used to probably eat like sugars and things like that. So that's only going to last for a certain amount of time. And I actually worked with a lot of recovering vegans. So um, mentally and metabolic, it is not the most species appropriate way to eat. Fruit and vegetables are something that should only be ever seasonal and they should only ever be used in a small amount when available but the most majority of, if we look back in history and we've got, you know, over 4 million years of historical, you know, what a species is meant to eat and it's an animal-based way. And those little things are meant to be added in every now and again. So when we look at 
the concept of society driven what what vegetables are like most of the vegetables we see now didn't even exist they're all man-made so they're all made up from different types of dna structures and they're all literally you know they're manufactured so i'll always say to people if you're shopping in the middle aisles of the supermarket you are going to be malnourished you've got to understand the power of what you need now with fruit fructose sugar is sugar is sugar <laughs> like okay. sugar is sugar it doesn't matter where it comes from but specifically what we have to look at is someone's gut health their mental health their metabolic health and if they do have a sugar addiction fruit also comes into that once you become carnivore your taste buds change so anything ultimately that's bitter who would eat kale it's bitter it tastes like a weed right? But it's got an amazing marketing, powerful strategy behind it. Um, So anything that we call a superfood that then allows you to understand that if it's causing bloating or it's sent you to the toilet because it's disrupting your gut because of the anti-nutrients in it. So that's the other thing. A lot of the time, vegetables and um, fruit are sprayed with glyphosate. So glyphosate, again, is a huge weed killer and you can see it. It's like this white film that's, that's on them. So it doesn't wash off. And even if you use organic, we've got to even go further down to go, what is happening in the soil? Our soil is depleted. What what vegetables are being grown in is not nutritionally dense. They're just not. So that's why when you take out meat and you take out most of the amino acid compounds, which you will not find in the bioavailability that is from vegetables. So for example, meat is bioavailable, vegetables are not. Cellulose, we are not meant to break down cellulose. We just don't have the capacity. Now, if you look at a cow, a cow has four stomachs. It eats grass, it breaks down the cellulose, and it makes the most nutritionally dense meat. If you eat broccoli, kale, all of these green, you know, really rough vegetables, a lot of the time you get bloated, you get gas, you have pain. People assume that that that's normal. Mm -hmm. That's not normal. (laughs) yeah so an expert like I'm nowhere near what Sally K Norton is but she's an amazing researcher in oxalate toxicity um, with vegetables and if we look at the concept of what we have believed to be true myself and any person that has not eaten a vegetable or a fruit for over four years and some for 12 some for 20 doesn't kind of really make sense that when we get our bloods done that we're ultimately healthy and we don't have any or everyone has reversed their metabolic mental health issues right now if we look at it from an observer point if we take those things out that we have been told that we need that doesn't kind of make sense (laughs) no it doesn't yeah so you know Spinach, for example, is a huge oxalate um, vegetable and it is not good for you. And if you're putting in, you know, raw spinach into a smoothie with kale and everything, there was even a research study that just came out yesterday talking about how deeply embedded, you know, forever chemicals are in kale, um, which you can't get rid of. So, again, with a carnivore, it, it is a foundational reset. So what we have to do is pull out every single thing, get back to that primal state. Then what I do with my clients is I'm like, okay, let's add in some low carb things one at a time, see how you react. Like I had a client that didn't eat fruit for eight months because she'd had a very, very bad, again, 
vegan background, yeah. very disordered eating, um, would weigh herself five times a day. And she put fruit back in because she felt fine. Within 10 days, her mental health went backwards. So she said to me, like, I'm surely it couldn't be the fruit. And I said, take it out and see what happens. Within four days, she was just like, it was the fruit. I'm like, yeah, it's the sugar and the pesticides potentially. Right. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And and it's so shocking that just fruit could do that. Like, and like you said, like the fruit, the fructose could do that. Yeah. So I'm curious why, so why do you think that we are told to eat, you know, heavy carbs, fruits, vegetables? Why do you think that we are taught to decrease our consumption of specifically red meat, which, which the carnivore diet actually teaches us is so nutritious. And not only the, I mean, research actually, actually tells us it's the most nutritious. So why do you think that we are told that it's not? Well, again, it's, it's a, beautiful narrative to support profit um and again you know how how often do you see an ad for red meat on tv not a lot but we see a lot of junk food ads right so again what we've got to do is pull just sneak behind the curtains a little bit and understand that it is all driven to become addictive um those those companies that make those products spend billions and billions of dollars on making what we call a bliss spot so for example with biscuits or you know crisps chips i think you guys might call them over there as well you know they're cooked in seed oils but the billions of dollars are spent on that is you have a couple that bliss spot point that they get which is salty fatty sugary you're in you're addicted your tongue and your dopamine centers are on fire so you want more and more and more so it's an addiction process and they know what they're doing because you keep going back to buy it yeah um We are told again through the, I guess, indoctrination of the vilification of red meat, saturated fat, you know, in history, it's giving you a heart attack. And that's all been debunked. There is many, 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 many researchers. And, you know, I know personally some of them that have literally debunked that. Um, Saturated fat has no correlation between heart attacks. And, you know, you can look at Dr. Chafee, you can look at all the other researchers out there that have this information. It's all to do with money and it's all to do with keeping people weak and sick because I'm saying right now the amount of people that have moved away from meat and have got sicker and sicker, it's just not worth it. Now, there's also a belief structure that comes with animal-based way of eating. So, Unfortunately, the narrative behind that is that cows are ruining the planet, red meat's bad, and we know that that's not true. Again, it's a narrative, um, but there's no such thing as a bloodless diet. Something has to die for something to eat something. So, you know, again, cows aren't murdered. (laughs) That's a great story. I love hearing that. They're not murdered, you know. It's just a lack of understanding that, you know, to eat even an, oh, sorry, a, a plant-based vegan diet, thousands and thousands and thousands of animals die, but they starve to death because their habitats, the pesticides, everything dies. So we have to come to a decision of we are the top of the food chain. That's who humans are, right? But we're yes. a species. Now, if you're eating something that is keeping you continually in an addiction process, you've got to eliminate it. 
And again, the pushback generally is a resistance of understanding like, well, vegetables are good, aren't they? And you're like, well, you don't need them because there is nothing in meat that you can get from a vegetable that you can't get vice versa. So you take Mm -hmm. out the vegetables and you get your full nutrition and mineral supplementation from meat and animal-based products because otherwise our, our bloods would show that. Our bloods would show deficiency. Our bloods would be, you know, our mental health would would show up. Um, but again, you know, there's different caveats to that depending on the person's gut health. Um, but it's it's all got to do with profit. Yeah. <laughs> and And I think that's what I love so much about about this whole conversation is just the level of intellect that's involved. I think that the more I started to get curious and think and really think more, um, I I just think it starts to make so much sense. Like, you know, humans have been around for for millions of years. We are so resilient. and, And how did we used to live, you know, and how did we used to eat? And of course we weren't eating Doritos and all of these things. That cereals are, you write cereals that are leaving us food. addicted and unhealthy um can you speak a little bit about actual food addiction because i think a lot of times you know the idea of being addicted to sugar or flour or whatever is just so mitigated and um it's just so accepted i don't think anyway can, can you just talk a little bit about that Yeah. So when I hear the word food addiction or disordered eating patterns, I'll generally go back to that zero to seven. So we've really got to track back that Mm. root cause of where we learned that. And our self-image, most people are operating in a very conflicted and poor self-image because of their external environment, right? So again, if we are given very early on sugary, carby foods, that's what our taste centers become addicted to. That also sets off the dopamine then because dopamine should only ever be released when we're actually doing something as in a goal or we're you know doing a big workout your dopamine yeah. release you've got to earn it mm-hmm. <laughs> but unfortunately we're not earning our dopamine because we're feeding and filling ourselves with our phones with tvs with netflix with food so we actually become two pathways in relation to the long-term effect of not getting the right nutrition, which then your body is then constantly hungry, constantly seeking, I need to eat. But what happens is if you have a negative self-image, but you're also using an external validation of how you look or whatever size clothes you wear or whatever scale you weigh, like your weight on the scale does not denote your worth, but it denotes your image of your metabolic health so again health in all sizes does not exist and I know that's going to cause a resistance for a lot of people to hear that however your mental and metabolic health have to go hand in hand Mm -hmm. you cannot have one without the other so you've got a psychological addiction to how you feel and your emotion so a lot of the time your feeding behavior is based on your emotions of what's happening outside of yourself so if you have an argument, break up with your boyfriend, you have a you know fight with your friend or something doesn't go right at work, your emotion to feed that and anchor that with food or alcohol becomes a pattern mm-hmm. of that's how I feed my emotions. 
but you're not getting the right energy for the mitochondria and then for your brain and also the amino acids and the neurotransmitters to convert. So serotonin, 97% of serotonin is made in your gut. So if we look at the power of that, if you're not getting the right amino acids to feed that, to transmute that through the neurotransmitters, how do you think you're going to work? Not very well. So the funny thing is, is when I see people with sugar addictions or food disordered behaviors, Mm -hmm. the minute you start feeding and fueling yourself, that all disappears. (laughs) Like it's quite, and it only takes really, two weeks for the body's transition to start shifting for you to have a window of a bit of a light to understand like, wow, something is happening here. However, the part that's missed is we have one protocol with feeding and fueling, but we also have to understand what is our mind doing? Where is that root cause come from? Why do I think the way that I do? Because the other thing is, most people don't understand that you, the images in your mind is your life expressed. So if you don't understand the images that you're holding true to your belief about who you are, the images are going to come true in your reality. So if you're saying you have an addiction, you yes. can't get off it, I'm not great, I don't love myself, I'm hopeless, I'm broken, yeah. no one's broken by the way and there's nothing wrong with anyone. It's just that you haven't been given the tools and the strategies to understand, hold on, where did I learn that? How do I change it? Yeah, I love that. First of all, I love what you said about, you know, the number on the scale and what it reflects because um, I, I sincerely agree with that. <laughs> um, yeah. I, sincer- I get my clients to throw this girl out. I'm like, throw them out. Throw yeah. Them out. Yeah. And so, you know, you mentioned a lot about self-image and, yeah. and the images in our brain. Um mm-hmm. And I'm so curious, how can we work with that? Like as, like, how can we, if it does all come down to our self image and the stories that we're telling ourselves, how learned, yeah, which, which we've learned, how, Mm. how can we, yeah, I guess what, what are the steps to go forward to shift that? To serve us. So a lot of it is really understanding the power of the unconscious programming and our patterning that we have. So 90% of what we do is always on autopilot and we've, we, we're literally autopilot humans. So 90% yeah. of our programming comes between that zero to seven. Mm-hmm. 10% is cognitive, which we don't use. <laughs> and wow. that's the problem because if I get everyone to think about a huge room, right, and on one side of the room there's all these filing cabinets and all the drawers are open And every single filing cabinet has a file with a thought, feeling, reaction that's connected back to your self-image. So that's all been built from the age of zero to seven. That's most people's operating system, which you've learned about who you are through what you've heard, seen, also verbally what you've been told by your environment, who you are. Then your identity is linked to that, right? So on the other side of the room, you've got a whole row of another filing cabinets that are empty. And that's my job with my clients. I get the other filing cabinets door shut with the old patterning and programming that we don't need, which is then becoming conscious. So we're going from full unconscious patterning to conscious behavior in the unknown. So we rewrite those empty filing cabinets full of new files. Wow. So new images, new thoughts, new feelings, new behaviors. So 
you have to understand too, a part of that is our value structures. So our value structures are not owned by us. We learn those things. But again, it's always externally validated, right? Especially in relationships. So right now, if I'd said to you, think about the word relationship, where does your mind travel to? First thought, feeling, reaction that comes up, where does it go? Romantic relationship. Yeah, it went outside of yourself. Yeah. So immediately you hear a word, your mind then goes through the filing cabinet to go, oh, relationship means intimate partner. Then you would go, well, what does that look like? You may pick up your last boyfriend. That may not be too good. Or you may get a selection of them. Now they all may look different, but the pattern of the association generally is the same. So relationship with self is the one that must come first. And that's the pattern of rewriting the files of new thoughts, images, and patterns. So that's why it's so, so, so important to understand you have to be an observer of your mind. You cannot be an unconscious participant because if you're an unconscious participant, you're going to be creating the same patterns over and over and over because your mind's designed yes. to protect you. Yes. Now, may not be protecting you with the best things that are of a high value to you. That's why we have to change them. And so when you say the relationship with self, Mm -hmm. how do you help clients get there? So again, it's about going, hold on. If I have values outside of myself, so for example, in a relationship, if I said to you in an intimate relationship, what would be your top three to four values? You'd probably rattle them off pretty quickly, right? So maybe trust, honesty, love. Um, what, What other one would you add in there? Um, trust, honesty, love, um, compassion. I don't know. Compassion, yeah. right. So now if we look at that list and I say, right, let's look at that list and I want you to turn it around back to yourself. Oh my gosh. Boom. Yeah. Wow. Do we that's love ourselves? Powerful. Do we trust ourselves? Are we honest with ourselves? Do we have compassion for ourselves? No, 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 and no. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. So we have to realign what that is for you consciously and how you embed that every day. So for example, with eating a species appropriate way, understanding that a value of ourself has to be mental and metabolic health, first and foremost, not negotiable. Now, if we feed and fuel ourselves with that way, then we're honoring our metabolic health. That's a value. Yeah. But we have to understand what that looks like, sounds like, feels like, but then look consciously at what that's creating. Because if you're not involved in that process, which a lot of people aren't aware of, it'll always go back to the default program. Yes. No one talks about values. And this is the problem. It's the same when we talk about how we feed ourselves with the way that we eat. It's a value no one teaches anyone that they don't and I'm so happy that you just brought that up because that's extremely powerful to think about it as values it's a value it's a way of self-respect but you know what if you don't respect yourself that's totally out of alignment that's what I call a value conflict so you're in conflict with yourself so a lot of the time we have this 
to and throw in a thought where you'll have a part of your positive self-image that'll come up and go, yes, I can do this. And then the big part of you that's been conditioned the most, which will be the one that doesn't have the respect, will go, yeah, no, 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 you can't. No, no, we're just going to go back to the same thing that you've done all the time because that's familiar. Yeah. So that's called a self-image conflict. So a lot of people will be like, oh, feels like there's two of me in there and I'm going mad. And I'm like, no, 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 it's just you don't understand the value has been embedded in the negative one because that's all you've known. So your mind's really smart. All it needs to be given is a new direction. It's a process. Your mind's literally a process. But yeah, if you don't understand the process, it's just going to pick up all the things that are familiar that don't, don't work too often. <laughs> so if I understand correctly, you are inviting your clients to choose new values. I get them to go through all of their values. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. I feel so And not so just inspired. even relationship with self. It's like external values, lifestyle values, career values, yeah. family values. They're all linked. That's all a part of our life, right? Yeah. If, if you don't though, firstly have your value set within yourself, you are dictated by everything outside of yourself, relationships, family, jobs, you're literally like a chess piece being moved around on a board. Yes. Because you don't have values which create boundaries. Mm -hmm. And another thing that humans don't like saying is no. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't work for me. But when you have your values set, you don't even have to worry about that because it's just a natural part of who you are. Wow. I feel so lit up and inspired <laughs> by that because like you said, I don't think people talk about that enough. And yeah, I, I love how I'll talk about external relationships, right? right? Yeah. And I love how so if you're, if you're you saying, yeah. So if you're saying to a partner or a potential partner, like, this is what I want in, in a, or desire in a relationship. And this is the value that I have. You've got to really make sure that if you're asking for love externally, and this is quite a contrast because a lot of people will put in, yeah, they want love with an external partner. But when you look at your own, it doesn't even exist. Even with trust, it's like, I want to trust a partner, but I'm like, well, how can you have that if you don't have that within yourself and you understand what that means? Mm -hmm. That creates emotional voids. So what happens is your mind and your unconscious will automatically try to fill that void with something or someone. Yeah. And that never fills you up because you don't have it yourself. Wow. Genuinely, I love, I love that so much. So... I know we're, we're coming up here on time. Are you good? Okay. If I have, okay, you're good. Cause I, yeah. I have one, I want to hit on, um, there's just so much I want to touch on. So, so you, you hit on mental health as metabolic health. Yes. And you know, I, um, I, I know I forgot who it was who wrote the book. Who, who was he, um, about the brain and, uh, Dr. Chris Palmer. Thank you. So yeah, yeah, brain was, energy. Yeah, brain energy. Yeah. So something that was so incredibly just mind blowing to me was when I learned that depression and anxiety and OCD, all of these things that I've been, all these labels that have been put on me, mm -hmm. um, and metabolic dysfunctions. <laughs> yeah, are, are exactly are actually metabolic dysfunctions and how there's inflammation in the brain. So can you speak to that? And also, 
Can you speak to, can you even just break it down to a micro level? What is inflammation? So for example, you know, anything that creates, say, um, sugar is inflammation. It causes glycation um, versus protein, which doesn't raise your blood sugar. So anything in my perspective is when you eat, your blood sugar should stay level and that's a consistent pattern. So that actually then doesn't fire up the insulin up and down all day. So yes, our bodies can do it, but we're not, we shouldn't be putting our bodies through that all the time. So if you think about your gut, I call that our first brain. That's literally our first brain that sends every other signal to the one in our head, but also to the psychological component to that that also gets in the way. Metabolic health comes from the fact that, again, when you feed and fuel yourself with the right food, it has the right messages that sends the right signals to the gut to create the right neurotransmitters. Now, if you have a leaky gut and you have the gaps open, like the, the gut junctures in your stomach are opened, all of the inflammation, all the junk food gets out into that and wow. it goes to your brain. So that does cause inflammation. Also to long history of like we said earlier, if you're a kid and you're not being fed and fueled properly, that also contributes to that. Because if you think about your body is a chemical factory, it's an energetic factory. If we're not getting the right energy and the right messages to make the factory work, your body's pretty smart. It'll function for as long as it can, but then it'll kind of send little whispers to you to say, hey, something's wrong. Got a bit of an ache and a pain. My gut's bloated. I'm in the toilet all the time. Bit, a bit foggy, a bit anxious. Um, so again, with anxiety, that's a twofold thing. If you're grown up in an anxiety environment, you also absorb that. And then we also can become conditioned that, well, if they've got it, I've got it. That's not true. But then we're also understanding that inflammation comes from food. It also comes from our thoughts as well. So our, yeah. Wow inflammatory thoughts create a reaction in your body that sends signals of chemicals of the same behavior what yeah can you give me an example of an of inflammatory thoughts so for example if you're continually saying that i'm dumb i'm broken no one loves me i don't want to be here that releases certain amounts of chemicals which creates cortisol which creates stress but then you become in a relationship with that that response so your body is also an unconscious mechanism your body doesn't know where it is by the way until you actually give it a thought feeling and reaction but if it's continual inflammatory thought that becomes familiar your body then gets addicted to the chemicals that are released with that thought wow that is so, so it's an opposing powerful. thought so if you wake up every morning and go i'm going to have a shit day your body's going to react with the same chemicals of flatness i'm anxious i'm depressed right if you wake up in the morning and obviously you understand yourself image and your programming and you say good things are coming wait good things are coming to me today your body then becomes addicted to that same good things are coming yeah right it takes the same amount of effort mm -hmm. <laughs> you've just got to be conscious in understanding hold on my inflammatory thoughts with my inflammatory food with my inflammatory emotions are creating a whole um pool of not healthy behaviors wow that is so powerful to think about well it's like you know when people just say you know i'm, I'm i need fixing or i'm broken 
that's an inflammatory thought. You're going to have a chemical release of reaction of that feeling that you've embedded. And so I know that, that you get to work with clients, um, you know, in real life. <laughs> and, the yeah. front, you know, like, like, so you have, it's very practical for you. Um, I'm curious. So have you been able to get people off of their medications? Yes. Okay. Yep. So like off of antidepressants, it, off of those things. Off, wow. um anti-anxiety medication, antidepressants, um, and some working with some psychiatrists in, mm -hmm. in getting off, say, anti antipsychotics, um, depending on how long they've been on them. So it's a very, very unique individual slow process because, again, if you've had a long time of, say, on an antipsychotic, your body and your brain changes an adjustment to those medications. So you've got to kind of find the 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 mirror or the mark of where we're okay and some people can't come off them but they can have okay. less yeah but they can support their body with carnival like and it's probably the only thing i've ever seen even with low carb not so much ketogenic similar but i always just go through with a carnival protocol first yeah and i've seen far more adjustments um with that with especially with um depression meds um but also too any kind of medication with depression just treats the symptoms. It mm -hmm. doesn't treat the, tr the root cause. So you can be on medication. It can just kind of blunt the emotions. But you generally still feel pretty bad about yourself and you may not talk to yourself very well and you may not be feeding and feeling yourself very well. So it's all a, con a conjunction of making sure that all of those protocols are, um, are looked at. And so when you work with clients, how – and, and, you know, based on your anecdotal evidence, based on people that you see, how long typically is the, um, you know, the adjustment, the adjustment period from coming off of, you know, the sad, the sad diet, into, diet yep. yeah, into an incest, into a species appropriate way of eating? How long typically is the healing or the transition period? Generally, what I find in the beginning is around a two week marker where people oh, wow. got to, you just got to, you just got to get through that two weeks of feeling like, you know, I'm not going to die without my carbs. I'm, <laughs> I've got to go through that emotion. Yeah. Um, there's a protocol with that. So I kind of use a priming protocol. So we just lots of electrolytes. Sorry, my window's looking really weird. Um, <laughs> lots of electrolytes, lots of just eating when we're hungry, maybe three or four or five times a day, right, in the beginning, okay. just to get the body into the adjustment. But then after that, um, sometimes 30 days, sometimes two months, sometimes three months. It just depends also. When, when we talk about this kind of way of eating, people have got to really understand that society find it weird. Your yeah. family will find it weird. Yep. Your friends will find it weird. They won't understand. However, what goes on your plate is in a community project because your mental and metabolic health must come first as a value, not mm. whether you're drinking, not whether you're eating a chip, not if you're having a steak with butter, no problem. Yeah. If my steak and my butter offends you, that's your deal. That's not for me to worry about because you're putting your values first. Yes. Right. One thing I'll always tell my clients, you can negotiate where you want to go for dinner. You can negotiate, hey, yep, look, I'm just going to have some meat here or some cheese. Never negotiate who you are and what you need to thrive as a human for you. Now, if you want to go out and not drink, and that offends someone, that's 
That's not negotiation. <laughs> I have chills. I I love that you just said that. And again, we're you're going back to values. Yeah, and how important one hundred percent back to values. And yeah, we don't negotiate. Yeah. <laughs> I love that so much, especially because I think you know I speak for myself. I it was something that was modeled to me as a kid was a lot of negotiating, a lot of. Yeah being polite, being a being sweet and yep. and yep. and not putting myself first in a lot of those ways. Correct, and we don't learn that. So again, it's like you we're told to respect outside of ourselves, love outside of ourselves, do things outside of ourselves, but how do we understand what that is for us if we're not taught that as a value structure and you know it, it is odd for people to understand when you're moving away to what looks like, you know what, oh, my God, you're going to kill yourself eating all that meat or you're going to die of a heart attack. Yeah. That's not – and, you know, I know where, you know, family and friends that may come from from a space of care, but, again, it's just the environmental information that they've been given. But, again, it's about you putting that value and going, I know what I'm doing. I'm smart enough to understand who I need to go to. Um, here's some things if you want to watch them, up to you don't mind if you don't, but I'm doing this for my value because I don't want to be where I am right now in the next five years. And that's why yep. I always say to people, your choice is either going to keep you in the same pattern or is it taking you where you want to be for you, not anyone else. And that's a boundary and people yeah. sometimes don't like them and that's okay, but it's for you. Boundaries are always for us, not, not for other people. Wow. Well, I am so happy that we were able to connect today because it's just so, um, I guess it's so validating and I'm so happy that I get to share this with my listeners. So, oh, I love it. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. <laughs> it's amazing so, chat. You're amazing. Oh, I appreciate you immensely. Th I Ditto. Ditto, girl. <laughs> so I'm curious, where can people find you? Yeah, so Instagram is natalie.e.west and then it's the same natalieewest.com on my website, um, Facebook as well, so stalk me on there. Um, I have a 30-minute free introductory uh, discovery call for anyone that wants to kind of just check in and we can have a chat and go through their own personal questions. And, yeah, so it's 30 minutes free chat with me. People can just book in whatever serves them. Oh, I love that so much. Well, Natalie, yeah. thank you so much. Um, I'll let you go. And, thank uh, you. <laughs> and, uh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm going to, or at least I'm going to turn the recording off. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. great. So, all right, y'all. First of all, thank you so much for making it through to the end of this episode. It means the world to me. If you would please share this with your friends, post about it on social, it would mean the world to me. I would love to get more ears on the pod. Also, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And please DM me your hot takes because I live for that stuff. You can find me on all social platforms at Mary Lacey Banks. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week and I'll talk to you next Wednesday. Mwah.